Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Hello, team. It's good to see you. Uh, Some of the people are wondering, who is this guy? I want to thank Ryan and Mark for what a great job they did in preaching. And congratulations to Ryan on his book, and I hope you'll come out for uh, the little chat that's coming up as we uh, encourage the book sales and also find out the content of of Revival. And so that conversation's coming up a week from tomorrow. Um, I want you to meet some friends of mine. Some of you have met them times past. Uh, Sundar and Sarita, where are you? Uh, Are you here? Yeah, there you are. From Nepal. Uh, These are two of my favorite people. I I met them 25 years ago on my very first really true trip. Uh, In those days, the board of directors said to me, um, Mark, you're you're the key man. We can't have you going on on these trips because Nepal was a, a it still is, persecuted uh, country for Christians, and we can't have you going out and... uh, they, these two so impacted my life, as well as Rose Martinez in Thailand, Cambodia. I came back and I told the board, you cannot afford for me to not go. Because mission partners like these have so influenced who we are as a church. And even this Super Bowl, thank you, Sundar and Sarita, we love you guys so much. Um, they have so influenced us that uh, even this kind of Super Bowl party idea uh, was birthed out of that, that kind of thing. Uh, how do we help Christians reach out to their neighbors on points of commonality? Well, that's all you can do in, in Nepal. You cannot freely come up to someone and say, I am a Christian, I want your soul in heaven. How do we do this thing and make a deal right now? You know, the, the days where people would go around knocking on doors and do that kind of thing, you, know, you just can't do that. And increasingly, you can't do that here in our country. It's, it's, it's countercultural. So how do you do that? Well, you do that through golf. You do that through business. You do that through music. You find points of commonality where you can say, hey, you and me, we both human. <laughs> we both <laughs> like this. So uh, we, we birthed the idea of, hey, let's, let's either throw a Super Bowl party or go to one. And you end up meeting people, and, and you have the light of Jesus in you, and we want them to know that, and that you're safe, uh, you're not weird, you're, you're a wonderful, wonderful person. So you say to me, as many people do every year, says, why do you do this? I'm not into football, I'm into rugby. Why do you do this? I'm into badminton. I'm not into this, I'm into gardening. Uh, you know, and, and all of my surfer friends I know what they're going to be doing at 3.30 today. They're not watching this. They're going surfing <laughs> because the water is empty. And, and, uh, so, uh, but I would just push back and say, well, what's your deal? Gardening, uh, crocheting, um, business, whatever it is, points of commonality for a bigger idea of sharing the love of Jesus that you, you do so well. So thank you, Sundar and Sarita, for modeling that for me. Um, so 3.30 today, 
uh, we begin. And this is the last service, so I'm already thinking, <laughs> guacamole. <laughs> Although a man in the, in the last service says, man, I challenge you, my guacamole's better than yours, you know. And I said, and so guess what I said? I said, prove it. <laughs> Bring me some. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I have fun. So, I, and if you ask me who am I rooting for, um, my answer is red and white. <laughs> or is it white and red? You know, so those of you that understand that, uh, you'll know. So, um, the big idea for me, uh, as we've thought about the Super Bowl, that kept coming back to me, uh, is the idea of undrafted. And I want to talk to you about that, the difference between being drafted and chosen by God, undrafted. Uh, I I shared the idea with Pastor Orville, and as you know, he uh, served in the army, was drafted and fought in Vietnam. Thank you, Orville, that you came back alive. But bless his heart, I said, it's, it's called undrafted. And he says, oh, you're talking about the military. And I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> there's this draft in football, and most of you know about it. Uh, there's 32 teams, which is a lot. We heard about the two that have never been in the Super Bowl. But there's seven rounds where 32 teams get to draft their players. There's more nuance to that, but we won't go into that. And, um, and so you, you think through all the different layers of someone thinking they're going to be chosen. They're going to be picked. And these players are not indifferent about it. These players have built their whole lives since Pop Warner football, since they're little pygmy, little guys running around, you know, seven-year-olds with big football uh, shoulder pads and helmets, and they're just running around banging into each other like little, little um, fire hydrants, you know. And, and, and they just keep growing. They eat, drink, breathe football, and they play junior high, and then they play high school, and then they get scholarshiped, and they get paid by some college to play football. That's a big deal. But it's all pointing to the NFL. It's what they want. And so they, the, the, the first draft goes around, and they're listening. Did my name get called? And they've already heard from their agent, who they've hired, to, to say, okay, I think you're, you're at least a third round. So be listening. And it goes around. And it's three days. And you're at the fourth round. It's, it's gruesome. It's horrible. It goes on for hours, for three days. And, and now you're in the fifth round. Now you're getting worried. No name. And now you're starting to think, what if I logged in all of this time and I'm not drafted? You know, some of us have been there. Not in football, But think about it. Think about your hopes and dreams. Just 
maybe someday I'll get married. Maybe someday I'll have kids. Maybe someday my career is going to be, maybe someday, tick, tick, tick. Now it's the sixth round. Tick. Did you know Tom Brady, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, wasn't chosen until the sixth round? I'm telling you, there's a chance. Tick. And now... Seventh round is over, and you haven't been drafted, undrafted. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you have in store for us. Speak to us now through your word. Open up our minds to hear your voice. Open up our hearts to be pliable and not resistant And show us, God, how you, as you change us from the inside out, make us into new people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me share with you two people that I know happen to be undrafted. The first one, Warren Moon, first African-American quarterback, QB. Now it's just like, the most common thing in the world, but that membrane had to be permeated, permit, uh, penetrated by somebody, and it was Warren Moon, thank God, Hall of Famer, but undrafted. So what happened? So I, I want to play football. So he moves to Canada and plays in the Canadian League for the Edmonton Eskimos. <laughs> you know... By the way, there were some people here. What are the chances from Edmonton last service? (laughs) God does that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think I could help them in their marketing. You know, I think we we could rename them, you know, something. But the Edmonton Eskimos, and that was his journey as a football player. And finally, he lands with the Oilers, the Houston Oilers, and he is a nine-time pro football player but originally undrafted. So my question is, is there a difference in the character of an NFL player who's undrafted and eventually plays as opposed to someone who is drafted? You get my drift. There's no study that's been done, but I suspect there is a difference because think about it. I can't relate to football gods. So someone grows up and their whole life, they, they hear, you're amazing. You know, you're so talented. You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. And you're amazing. And, and finally, they're drafted $10 million a year. And they're amazing. When they're interviewed, the answer is, well, I'm amazing. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I've always been amazing. And we look at these football gods and we think, I, I, I want to watch you play, but I cannot relate. My body does not do those things uh, that you do. Let me give you an example of another one. On Antonio Gates, Chargers legend, tight end that holds so many records. In fact, I think he's still number six in terms of all-time touchdown receptions. 
And yet, did you know, in 03, he was undrafted. So there's a chance. Now, the passage I want to study with you this morning is Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, Gennesaret is a difficult word, but it's the, it's the counterpart to the word Galilee. Most of us know it as the Sea of Galilee, and it's also called Lake Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him, that is Jesus, and listening to the word of God that he was speaking, just as we're studying the word of God right now. And he saw the waters at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets, a key detail. He got into one of the boats, notice it's not in the water yet. He gets into the boat, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for, your, for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. You know, they didn't have those little radar things that you go out half-day boats, and it's, don't you think that's cheating sometimes? You know, but I do it. I mean, why not? <laughs> you know, where are the fish? Let's go fish there. So they didn't have that. They tried all night. And then he says, but master, uh, at your bidding, uh, we will let down the nets. So when he had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled the part, their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So think of the freeboard on a boat. You always want to have a little bit of freeboard. You can look that up, but there's a reason for that. You don't sink. But if the weight is too heavy, you know, you just have to say, they had to say, no more fish. Time out. We have enough. We're, we're sinking. So with this, when Simon saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet. Obviously, when they got to shore, away from me, he said, Lord, I am a sinful man. Get away. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed him. So in the first section here, I want you to see that there's kind of an expected exchange that's going on here. Jesus borrows the boat from Peter, and then in exchange, he says, you go now catch some fish. I'm paying you back for you loaning me your boat. It's the expected exchange that we expect in almost all of life. Tit for tat, I do this, and now you do that. And that's really what's involved in the draft. I worked hard for 14 years or whatever, 
and I deserve to be drafted. I'm not asking for a gift. I'm not asking for grace. I'm not asking for, I'm asking you to look at my talent and you hire me to be on your team. So it says in the text here, one day, going back to verse one, which tells us this is just like an ordinary day. It's a normal day going on, but there's a problem that arises. The people are crowding around Jesus. So Jesus is standing on level ground with all the people, and that means only the the first 14 people around Jesus can see him, listen to him, and everybody else can't hear or see Jesus. Jesus, not surprisingly, has an idea. He sees the boats, and he has this idea, what if we push one of the boats off, doesn't have to be maybe 10 yards from shore, that's going to create a barrier between me and the people, unless someone just wants to get wet, and people can easily hear me as my voice resounds over the waters, and that's exactly what they did. Now, what they would do is roll these boats. These boats are way too heavy. These boats are like from here uh, to that wood uh, wall right there. So these these wooden boats are way too heavy to just say, "Yeah, let's let's just push this thing in." Uh, so that what they would do is roll them. They would have uh, logs that they would pull the boats on. And some of you are old enough to remember the dinghies up in Newport Beach, and I'm sure they had them at other piers along the coast here, where fishermen would roll them on rollers. They weigh hundreds and hundreds of pounds, but several men pushing them on these rollers can get. And so Jesus hops into one of these boats while it's still on the rollers. And uh, he says, would you let me borrow your boat? Push me off. And, And so Peter does it. And then after the sermon, and by the way, wouldn't you have loved to heard that? I mean, I think part of heaven is gonna be that. You know, uh, Jesus, could we go back to the Sermon on the Mount and push play? (laughs) And you're there, YouTube, you know. Uh, So all the things we've imagined in our mind as we read scripture, you're actually seeing it for the first time. Or maybe we don't want that because there's Jesus anyway, right? So he gives this wonderful sermon. Then he comes to shore and he says to Peter, launch out into the deep. And uh, so this is the point that causes Peter some consternation. But up until this point, it feels like tit for tat, I borrowed your boat, and now you get this. Peter, by the way, is not a newbie when it comes to Jesus. Some estimate, some scholars estimate that He's known Jesus perhaps as long as a year and a half at this point. Now let me help you for those of us that haven't merged all of the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, into one to figure out how this plays out. So if you go back to the end of John chapter one, somewhere around verse 40 something, you find out that Peter meets Jesus down by the river Jordan. It turns out that Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these four fishermen who had two different fishing companies but also fished together, and here they are together, uh, 
had been fascinated by John the Baptist. They thought about revival just like Ryan taught, and they thought, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the precursor to the Messiah. And then one day they hear John the Baptist point to a man and say, behold the Lamb of God. And Andrew is one of the guys. John is the other one. And they take off and they meet Jesus. Andrew goes and gets his brother Peter and says, I think we found the guy we're looking for. And they meet Jesus. And they're sizing him up. Is this the Messiah? Is this the guy? But they're not like you that are saying, uh, is he divine? They're not thinking divine at all. They're just thinking anointed human being that's coming to rescue Israel. So they follow him back to the Galilee area. At first, they go to Nazareth, and Jesus preaches a sermon there. It's a pretty cool sermon, but it upsets some of the people in Nazareth, so they try to kill Jesus. Not great for your first sermon, but... Uh, after that, they go to a wedding over the hill. If you've been to Nazareth, it's just six miles over the hill to Cana. And they all go to a wedding. And the first miracle happens. He turns water into wine. Some people think that he turned wine into water to get rid of wine. But it's actually the other way. <laughs> he turned water into wine to say new life is, has come. And then Jesus goes with the fisherman back to Capernaum and he sets up his headquarters there rather than in his own hometown. And he start, he's about to start his ministry. So Peter is thinking, I'm gonna get drafted. I've known this guy, I've been following this guy, we've been doing this thing for months, I've been to synagogue, I've memorized a lot of scripture, everything says I should be drafted. And a lot of us think that way when we, we come into church. We walk through the door and we think, well, I've kind of been a good guy. I've kind of gone to Sunday school or I've really helped. I've given more money to the March of Dimes and I've done these different things. I'm the guy that God should want. We think that way, tit for tat. That's the way of commerce. But the story begins to change with some unexpected grace here. As we come to verse five, Simon answers and says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll do it. You probably have had your 14-year-old say something like that. It's like, oh, I don't want to do it, but you're my mom and you're my dad, and you won't feed me anymore unless <laughs> I do it. So when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, signaled the partners, the other boat comes over to help them to fill up the boats uh, so much that they began to sink. So the reason Peter isn't thrilled is as a fisherman, there were two things they did. Well, you could break it all down, there's a lot of things, but uh, one was you try to catch fish, and the second thing, and that's usually in the nighttime. So they've fished all night. The, the daytime morning was picking off all the seaweed, all the seagrass that got stuck to the net. Because if you don't pick off the grass, the nets will rot quicker. There was no nylon nets in those days. 
It was made of a natural fiber. And equally, the next time you go fishing, the fish are going to see that it's a net because you have all these things stuck to the net. It's not camouflaged. So they, they've done all that. They've been working all morning. And Jesus, somewhere around noon or two in the afternoon, says, I got a good idea. Go do it again. So if you let your, down, your nets down, you can't just let them down for 10 minutes. You got to let them down for quite a while. Let all the fishy fishy swim into the nets and then pull it up, but you're going to pull it up with grass all over again. And it's daytime. This is not a good time to do it. But Peter says, at your bidding, master and friend. And he doesn't know what he's going to get into. And he goes out to the deep and lets down his nets. And this is where the story turns and becomes an unexpected story. A large number of fish. Doesn't say large fish. That's what I like to think. Like big mahi mahi. <laughs> I don't think they're in the Sea of Galilee, my favorite fish, but uh, or maybe oh no, or maybe opa. Yes. <laughs> Love all of these fish, my friends. So they catch this huge number of fish and the miracle is beginning. I don't know what a tit-for-tat exchange of commerce would be. You borrowed my boat for an hour of your sermon, just give me a few fish and we'll call it square, right? And now he realizes this isn't square. You have heaped and heaped and heaped and heaped. We had neighbors growing up that, that were like this. Uh, they could have been anybody, but they happened to be Jewish, and they were always more gracious to our family than we could be to them. They always outgave us in everything imaginable. Jesus is outgiving Peter in a way that overwhelms him, and now he's thinking, who is this guy? This is not some average normal Messiah guy. <laughs> Something bigger is going on than I expected. You can almost feel the thud of Peter thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. I have bitten off way more than I can chew in following this Jesus. Who is he? Sometimes we'll have some people come out from the East Coast uh, and, and they look at something like surfing and they'll say to me, doesn't look too hard. Uh, you know, and they'll usually say, you know, uh, I did some water skiing back in the day, or uh, I did some uh, downhill skiing or snowboarding. It's kind of the same thing. Let's do this thing. And I say, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and we find a good foamy board so nobody gets hurt, you know, and, um, and we go out. And and always, it's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea, and it's this, 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 and usually there's a friend on the shore saying, you know, just uh, stand up on the board on the sand, and we'll take a picture, and we'll <laughs> Photoshop it into a big Waimea wave, and it'll all be good. Go back to Kansas, and, and uh, you, you did it. It's not that hard. 
You know, we've all had things like that where you thought it wouldn't be that big a deal. And Peter meets Jesus, and Jesus is huge. And that's a big point right here. Jesus, spiritually speaking, is huge. He's not this cute little bobblehead doll on the back of your, 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 your car. He is this amazing, he's huge in love. He's huge in power. He's huge in presence. And he's huge in terms of his love for you. But it's gonna be his way because there is a God and it is not you. And Peter now is encountering this. I was trying to think of an analogy for this, and because we're talking about Jesus, there is an analogy good enough. But the one that came to my mind, Jan and I were in South Africa. We've been there a few times to learn from our partners that work in the, in the townships in South Africa, working with AIDS victims and all of that. Uh, it gets me choked up to think about it, but after one trip, Jan arranged for us to go through Johannesburg to uh, go to Kruger Park to go on a, uh, get climb in a Jeep and go on a safari. And I thought, cool, how hard can that be? You just get in a Jeep, you zoom around, say, okay, there's a lion, there's a, there's a hippo, there's a rhino, there's an elephant. And there was one guy in the Jeep in the front seat and said, could we not see elephants? They scare me to death. And he literally said, I'm afraid I may wet myself if I see an elephant. Well, we came over the hill and there was this huge young bull elephant, solo. And the driver says, I think we'll just stop right here and let you guys look for a distance. And the guy next to him said, yeah, 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 stop here. This is no closer. This, this is bad. This is, you know. And, and so we were just looking, and the driver guide said, by the way, an elephant or lion or whatever sees us as one big animal, as long as we don't move around. They figure out that you're several humans if you just keep moving around and talking. So don't talk and don't move, and he sees us as one formidable animal to be dealt with. And so there we sat. And the elephant keeps looking over at us as he's eating and keeps looking over at us and he's like maybe between here and the back of the building. And then now, after 10 minutes watching, he begins to walk away. And so our Jeep is like over here at that wall and the elephant gets to about that wall. And he stops, and he whips around, and stares at us, and begins to charge. <laughs> so he's charging at our Jeep broadside. He told us, don't move. <laughs> My wife is on the side that the elephant is coming for, and she just wham, comes right over to me, and all the people on that side slid over to this side because here comes the elephant. The elephant stops a yard away from the Jeep and now his trunk is swinging around inside the Jeep. <laughs> the guide 
begins to speak in some language. I don't know, I, you know, maybe it was tongues. I don't know. And he begins to move his arm around like a trunk, talking gently to the elephant. And I think he's saying something like, we mean you no harm. We are fellow creatures like you. And the elephant just keeps with his ears out like this. And after about five minutes of that, the elephant turns, walks away, 10 yards later, turns back around, kind of to say, I could have killed you, and walks away. So when people say to me, do you want to go to the, uh, the wild animal park or the zoo to see an elephant? I know what they're thinking, but I know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking like John Candy, big, 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 big elephant. I think of elephants different than how you think of elephants. The Bible presents Jesus different than how most people think about Jesus. Big, big, big. And this miracle connected with Peter so much so that he realizes he has bit off way more than he can chew. Who is this guy, Jesus, that does a miracle like this? And this is not about being drafted because he has paid me back way more fish than I ever deserved. And we come to the final segment of the story in verse eight where it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, get out of here. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I am unworthy to be drafted by you. I thought I was worthy. I thought I logged in the time. I thought I was amazing. My mom told me I was amazing. My wife told me I was amazing. I am not amazing. I am unworthy. Have you ever felt that? I call it the unworthy gap where you come in through the door of the church and you say, cool, kind of like the music feel like I could fit in here yeah casual dress casual music cool I think but somewhere in your life you're going to hit the wall of unworthy just not if you know what I'm talking about where everything in you says I don't belong here these are good people <laughs> I'm a sinner I don't belong here he's an amazing God he's big and I don't belong here. And at that point, you're ready. You're ready to hear him say, I choose you. Not drafted because you earned it, but I choose you. Now that you know you're unworthy, now that you know you can't do it, yeah, now we are getting some there. You're ready. And so... Jesus says, don't be afraid, Simon. You will now fish for people. And he, he and the others leave everything and they follow Jesus. 
Here's the principle. When you've been around Jesus, whether you're studying the word, maybe you're praying, and maybe you're at a meeting and you sense his presence, or you're, you're around Jesus and holiness, you become aware of who you are not apart from Jesus. And you're aware of this gap. Yeah, you're a sinner. But you're not just a sinner, you're a creature. He's creator and you're not just a creature. You're, you're mortal. All of us are gonna die. He lives forever. And you just, you're not skipping into the presence of Jesus and say, hey, hey, groovy guru, let's do this thing. He's big, 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 big. And you move from being undrafted to chosen. Yeah. And once the chosen happens, you realize, oh my gosh, okay, the thing I didn't get in life, and there's a lot of, everybody doesn't get everything in life, you know? A hawk doesn't get to be a sparrow. A hawk doesn't get to be a fish. A hawk just is a, is a hawk. And there's a lot of us that don't get everything. We didn't get the career. We didn't get the brains. We didn't get the beauty. We didn't get the bucks. We didn't get uh, the marriage that we wanted. We didn't get all the kids we wanted. We didn't get whatever it was. There's an undrafted part of our story, but you're chosen, and you're chosen by Jesus. And do you know what that means, little buddy? It means he wants you. Now, if God, through Jesus Christ, wants you, doesn't that eclipse everything else? It eclipses everything that he wants you on his team. Not because you earned it. You didn't and you couldn't. But because of his love and grace for you. So let me tell you about a couple more players. One is Tony Romo. Some of you remember that name, Tony Romo. He uh, was on a list of, a long list of quarterbacks who were drafted that year of all the players on the team. You know, linemen, uh, linebackers, cornerbacks, all this. There happened to be 13 quarterbacks who were drafted that year. And Tony Romo was number 14. <laughs> and he ended up being undrafted. So when you're undrafted, your agent just goes around knocking on doors. Pretty please, could, you know, you, would you need anything? And he really is. Don't, don't you need a fourth, uh, fourth in line quarterback? And so finally, he's signed and... For the first two years, he's a placeholder for the kicker. How humiliating. What do you, what does your child say? Well, my dad, or, my dad is a placeholder for the kicker. <laughs> you know, you run on the field when the special teams, and you, you say, hike, and you hold the ball, and, and if the field goal is missed, the kicker says, way to go, you didn't hold the ball right. That's your only job in life. You, you really don't even need a uniform, you know? And it's, it's, you're a placeholder. How humiliating. But guess what? 
he ends up playing 14 seasons for the Cowboys, and he still holds the highest record for fourth quarter receptions in the NFL. Pro Bowler. The other name I want to remind you of is a more current one, Kurt Warner, who just in 17 was initiated, inducted into the Hall of Fame, but Kurt Warner ended up being QB for, yes, the Rams. Most of us saw that Super Bowl, led the Rams to win the Super Bowl, then led the Cardinals when he was traded to win the Super Bowl. Two different teams. Amazing. But guess what? He was undrafted. And then finally, when he gets a team to sign him, it happens to be the Green Bay Packers. And that year, guess who showed up for the Green Bay Packers? Brett Favre. And so, once again, nothing's happening for him, and he ends up being cut and stacking things on the shelf in a grocery store. A Christian, an evangelical, committed Christian, saying, Romans 8.28, God has a wonderful plan for my life. (laughs) Undrafted. And yeah, he ends up having this incredible career. So Peter knew what it was like to have empty nets, and so do all of us. And Peter knew what it was like to be undeserving. But he also knew what it was like to become self-aware of who were not in the presence of Jesus and to discover that he's chosen. And everyone here, you are chosen. Can you just say that to me right now? I am chosen. You are chosen. Yeah. That's a big, big idea. And so what happens to someone who's undrafted but is chosen? I think we would find out, if we did this study, we would find out, human behavior study, that there's more humility in a person that's been undrafted. There is a greater mercy towards others There is a value, huge value, that now you get to play. There is a greater respect of teammates. And there's a bigger sense of mission. Because when you're just drafted, you're thinking, it's all about me. (laughs) Right? But now that you've been undrafted, it's, it's all about a bigger mission than me. And I think every Christian begins to know that. It's about this mission of letting other people know about this Jesus. Fishers of men, right? So Isaiah had this same experience in following God. He's caught up in this vision and he sees God And he hears the angels singing, holy, holy, holy. And what does he say? Cool, I should be here. This is right. Drafted. No, he says, woe is me. I should not be here. So if you came in today and you just kind of feel like, I should not be here. Can I just say you're in good company? You 
belong. That is the ticket to be here. To realize, yeah, we are sinful. We are sinful. But then beyond that, Isaiah is cleansed by the angel. A coal is brought to his lips. And you can be cleansed. We are cleansed if you're following Jesus. By the blood of Jesus, he has cleansed us. He died on the cross for our sins. And then he says, who will go? And now he's saying to you, and your answer would be, send me. I will make you a fisher of men. We're going fishing again, but this time, we're looking for different fish. You're chosen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for this great adventure of, of seeing how you, you grabbed a hold of Peter's heart, just like you're grabbing a hold of our hearts here this morning. And Lord, with Peter, we say, Lord, we are not worthy. We are sinners. We're so grateful for your retort to Peter. Don't be afraid. I will make you fishers of men. You're going to catch people now. There's a higher calling. And even though you weren't drafted in the success of this world, I'm calling you to follow me, to share the love of Jesus. This morning while we're praying, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to give every person here a chance to do business with Jesus. And it's not a tit for tat, you deserve it kind of deal. It's the kind of deal where we don't deserve it, we don't earn it. But you may have come with a friend, you may have come alone, you may have made some kind of agreement with God earlier on in your life, or maybe never. But I want to invite you to make that agreement with God here today. And it goes something like this. I'm a sinner, God. I'm just me. And sometimes I think I'm amazing, but I've had broken parts to my life. There's been many parts of my life that I've been undrafted, unwanted. But today I open up my heart to you. And if you want me, I want you. If you want me, living God, then I want you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Wash and cleanse me of all the junk, all the sin, all the if-onlys and the buts and the what-ifs, all of that stuff. And I make a decision that I'm following you just like Peter did. So if that's your prayer this morning, while the rest are praying, heads are bowed, would you just lift your hand up where you are and say, I'm, this is a new day for me. I'm, rest- I'm rebooting today. 
if you're raised, if you've raised your hand, if you look up at me, you'll notice that I'm looking at you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you and you and you and you and you and you. Yes. And God bless you back here. I'm looking at you and you and you and you down here. If I, you way in the back, yeah. Thank you for waving at me. And you over here. I gotcha. Two of you right here to my right, near the back. Anybody else I missed? I love it. This is, yes, you, God bless you. This is game day for you. And if you raised your hand, and even if I missed your hand, let's pray this prayer quietly as I pray it out loud. Lord, come into my life. I admit I'm a sinner. And I admit there's broken parts of me. Come in and forgive me and mend me from the inside out. For today... I make you the Savior and Lord of my life. And fill me with you instead of me. I've been filled with me for too long. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and your power. For from this day forward, I start the adventure of following you. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.